Hey, I'm Sailor. It's another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. I will work for whiskey just so some people in this show know that. I figured I would also start out the show tonight with a traditional old Scottish saying. You're oot your face. Translation means you're drunk. <laughs> usually argue and very professionally debate the merits and in the end only one album or artist reigns supreme and tonight we are not doing that because as jake would say we really don't know the meaning of the word typical (laughs) he would say that (laughs) that's right matt we are not but we have a very very special guest with us and we asked our guest to choose the topic tonight so we will be discussing the band queens of the stone age and then my script says, insert excitement here. <laughs> so now let me introduce our guest. The gentleman with us tonight is someone who I have been Instagram stalking in a serious fashion for about a year now. I beg him for a job on a regular basis. One day he will accept, I am sure. <laughs> he once referred to me as Penny, and I swooned, but enough about me. Welcome, Mr. Mark Thompson, to the show, a.k.a. Single Malt Mark, if you are an Instagrammer. He's a brand ambassador for Glenfiddich Whiskey and an overall dashing fellow. Hello, Mark. <laughs> hey, Mark. Well, hey, both of you. Well, how do I start, Sailor? I mean, your Scottish accent sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, as soon as I find how to block you on Instagram, I've been trying for ages. It's just, just tricky. But listen, thank you both for having me along. I'm quite excited for this. It's good. Absolutely. Good. Our pleasure. All right. So uh, let's first talk about what we're drinking tonight. And then I think the whiskey segment is actually Sailor's today. Um, oh, wait, isn't it like 9 a.m. where you are, Sailor? Yeah, so this is another yeah. ode to my devotion to Mr. Single Malt Mark. I don't get up before 10 a.m. Just so you, this just doesn't happen. I've been up since 6 a.m. Pacific time, getting prepared, making sure I can have a voice. And so I'm drinking fucking tea, okay? I'm drinking fucking English tea, proper sugar, cream, the whole thing. That's what I'm drinking, cream. damn you it. You don't put cream in tea. Come on now. That's yes, just, you uh, do. That's a, yeah. that's a major error. It's got to be milk. Milk, whatever. Cream, milk, whatever yeah, the hell. If it's two sugars, then we refer to over here as builder's tea. So any construction worker, that's exactly how they have the tea. Two sugars, <laughs> maybe sometimes three. And sometimes three. Well, anyway, I'm disappointed. As an ambassador, I'm usually just getting home at this time. Uh, and there's always a dram sitting in my hand somewhere. So I was hoping you were saying it was going to be something more medicinal than some stewed bush leaf. Well, I could put this in there if I really wanted to. I could add a few drops of this. The Glenfiddich 12, the malt that started it all. Hell yeah. All right, so... Go ahead, Matt. Well, I'm, I'm drinking something. Oh, shit, sorry. By, oh, yeah, you noon, fucker. You're on the East Coast. It's, <laughs> it's noon by me, so um, I'm a little disappointed because I always, in some form of another, or some 
way or another have Glenfiddich in my bar, but I don't have any for this episode. What is wrong with go. you? You're ruining I this for me. I'm, I'm, I'm falling. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> still for the show. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. That's it. <laughs> Fuck you, you amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> one drink of tea, and I'll tell you, if you say it's one of my competitor brands, I am out of the door. No, well, be- it's a, it's Matthew. A William, it's a William Grant Sons product. Fucking so better be. The next. Okay, okay, good save. <laughs> Continue. Um, but it's, tel- it's Tullamore Dew Caribbean Cask XL. Oh, nice. Do you know, uh, this? um... Yeah. Yeah, an interesting little product, actually. That's a little Irish whiskey that we have. So. I love that stuff. It's a really great gateway. Um, actually, one of my friends right now, I'm trying to introduce him to whiskey. And um, I didn't mean to try to introduce him by with American whiskey, like High Proof. It just, I brought it for myself, and he was like, oh, I'll take a sip of that. And I'm like, oh, I don't think you're going to like it. And then I tried to give him the Sexton the other night. And he was like, what the hell is this? And then he found my bottle of Tully, the Caribbean cask, in the cabinet. And he's like, I hope I didn't drink the really expensive stuff. And I'm like, well, it's all expensive. It doesn't matter. And he fell in love with it. And so it's like his favorite whiskey right now, all the Tully products he's in love with. Good gateway for starters, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nice and light, but a good bit of sweetness. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a, it's a weird thing because when people ask me all the time, and I travel a lot with the job, and people ask me all the time, how do you, what do you start with? How do you get into whiskey? Uh, and I've started to get this way around in thinking that actually if someone says to you, right, what, you know, walk into a bar, which whiskey do you recommend behind the bar here? Not the most people will turn around then and say, right, what do you normally drink or what have you drunk before? And try and work out what they're doing. No, the thing to do is to just ask them, how much money do you have? (laughs) (laughs) You imagine, you imagine if a bartender said that to you and said, is this your, you know, you want to get into whiskey? How much money have you got? How much do you want to spend? How much do you want to invest in this? You imagine if your very first whiskey was a 30 year old Glenfiddich or a 25 year old Balvenie or something along those lines. Oh my God. That's your benchmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah for and, sure. And yeah. most people automatically assume, right, we'll go low and light and young and delicate. It's, it's not, it's 40% alcohol. Mm-hmm. But if you were handed over something like a 30-year-old at that time or a 25-year-old, you're suddenly going to think. And you can go down a little bit lower or you can go up higher if you wish. But I just wish more people would start their whiskies with really good shit. Well, instead of doing so when people ask me that at a bar I'll give them a five minute sensory training class. So fuck that. From now I'm just going to be like, how much money do you have, motherfuckers? And now I'm about to ruin your fucking life. Because I'm going to yeah. pour you a yeah, 25 year old Balvany that you cannot get ever again. Here you go. Good. Awesome. Enjoy. Great. Great. <laughs> so I have prepared a very special um, whiskey pairing. I hope that you will enjoy, Mark. Um, did you listen to the Rush episode by any chance? Yes, I did. What yes, did you think of that whiskey pairing? Yeah, quite interesting. I, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, there's no rules and regulations to whiskey. People have been trying to pigeonhole whiskey for a long, long time. And I think when people come to it with some wacky ideas... Uh, traditionalists will throw them out the room but I applaud it actually I think you know we didn't we've not remained as a family company for all this time without taking some stupid risks and calculated risks 
Very yes. true. Uh, and, and, you know, being creative. And someone might say, that's ridiculous until you try it. And go, actually, it's not that ridiculous. But uh, So what have, what have you got? What, what are you going to blow the whiskey world apart with? Oh, no, just, just just a nice pairing of the band and the whiskey I chose to go with it. Oh, oh yeah, I see. Yeah. So I chose the Glenfiddich 14-year-old Bourbon Barrel Reserve. So as the Glenfiddich Distillery poses the question themselves, quote, think a bourbon heart can't hold a single malt soul, end quote. I pose a similar question. Think a band can't hold the souls of hundreds of other bands and still have their own identity? With this expression, Glenfiddich's malt master, Brian Kinsman, patiently waits 14 years as the whiskey matures in ex-bourbon barrels. Much like Queens of the Stone Age fans have waited over the past 22 years for Josh Homme to pull together the right musicians and have the right material for each album to come to maturation. But Mr. Kinsman is not done yet. Once the liquid has taken its time in the ex-bourbon barrel, it is then finished in deeply charred new American oak barrels from Louisville, Kentucky. Also, like the time that Josh puts into post-production on all of Queen of the Stone Age's albums with the perfect studio partners. The result of these efforts from Mr. Kinsman's dedication to the whiskey is a rich, sweet summer fruit and vibrant single malt that is incredibly smooth even though it carries the signature woody spice found in American whiskey. It's the perfect marriage of echoes of the original barrel's juice and the fingerprint of that master distiller, along with the gorgeous Glenfiddich recognizable malt and an excellent marriage of many players to create a perfect palate-pleasing whiskey, much like Queens of the Stone Age delivers a perfect ear-pleasing sound. And that is what I have for you tonight. You know, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. Pretty. Wait, can you say, can you say that again louder? <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> praise, praise doesn't come often from me. I certainly won't repeat it. Uh, uh, it's great, except one thing: I can't get that whiskey in the UK. It's an it's a US exclusive. That's right. So uh, I am, you know, and I'm sitting in the distillery now uh, having a chat, and we're we're. I've had to get ambassadors from the states to bring that over here, so I can have it. It's a but that's really, I really like the way you weave the two stories together. They're clever. You should think about a job in whiskey. Oh, oh, should I? Um, okay, I'll remember <laughs> that, actually. Maybe I'll send you my resume. <laughs> you got a lot of heart, kid. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the topic of the evening. The band Queens of the Stone Age. guys so um mark you're a big fan you requested this band to be our subject for the evening so i'm just going to do a little bit of background for people that perhaps are not very familiar with the band um <clears throat> so queen eight queens of the stone age is an american rock band formed in 1996 in the palm desert of california founded by josh Hame, formerly of kios the screaming trees and gamma ray in 1997, Gamma Ray changed their name to Queens of the Stone Age and released their first song, 18 AD, which was on a compilation album, Burn One Up, Music for Stoners. 
After that, they released a split EP with Kiss, and then in 1988, they released their self-titled debut album. Then in 2000, they released Rated R, with several guest musicians on the album. It garnered, garnered such positive reviews from critics and earned the band a spot at OzFest in 2000. Then in late 2001, Queens of the Stone Age went back into the studio to record songs for the deaf, which was their breakout album. Again, several guest musicians joined this recording session, like Dave Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. So that was my gateway album to the band. I don't know about you guys, but I knew about Gamma Ray beforehand and Kiss. Don't know if I made the connection, but definitely 2001 is when I remember the MTV video so well. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Matt. No, go ahead, Mark. Uh, you, uh, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Songs for the Deaf. I, I remember uh, watching or listening to it at the time, and the UK was, you know, quite a, quite, quite an eclectic music choice at that time. Um, one of my big favourites was uh, Ferris Brothers, who later became in excess. Uh, so that kind of ruckus, uh, a little bit raw, with a bit of almost a bit of camps rock. It, it's weird. Yeah. And then, Queens of the Stone Age come along and no one knows hits the screen and it was just like what is this mm-hmm. the, 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 that his voice his stage presence his 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 slightly camp way of running yeah, around totally. this, this incredibly <laughs> noisy racket on stage uh, Dave Grohl playing drums and that of course and then battering out some bracing the guitar breakdowns in the middle it, it, you know even today I play that song and you cannot help air guitaring too <laughs> so true <laughs> but at that point it gave me this whole kind of switch and went wow and I was never really a rock fan like heavy metal lots of guys Metallica and you know ACDC that was all through my school years and I was more of a not so much a new romantic but a little bit of softer rock and that came along and I just went wow there's the bridge right there where you nice. can enjoy both in the same bloody song. That was yes. the thing. It had yeah. both parts of it. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, they created a, uh, a genre of their own. I mean, it was like we had stoner rock. You, know, you had stoner rock in the 60s and 70s. And then again, when I was a kid in the late 80s, we had stoner rock as well. And I feel like this is the contemporary stoner rock of the early 2000s. Um, and everybody calls it kind of desert music because... If you've ever been to the California, like Palm Desert, Southern California inland, oh, it is the weirdest fucking place. It's like going to another planet. It is so weird. And forgive me, the people that are from there are weird as shit. People who live there are fucking weirdos. But this is an example. Like all the bands he's ever done, a lot of musicians that play with him, they're also from that area and they're fucking weird. And it just, that's, that, like, the music encompasses it. Um, this album was a critical hit and actually went gold in 2003 and sold over 900,000 albums. Um, and so both No One Knows and Go With The Flow were huge, uh, radio and MTV hits. And both of them won several VMAs. Um, I think it was in 2002 or, or for 2001. Um, so, then 2004, um, longtime bassist who had been with Josh since the beginning, Nick Oliveri, was fired from the band by Josh, and many thought the band would be over. Um, I don't think at the time everybody realized that kind of the genius of Josh is that he has a thousand bands and a thousand musicians, so um, I think everybody just saw them as queens of the Stone Age. Um, but of course that would not be so. Um, the band was back in the studio 
in late 2004, and they recorded Lullabies to Paralyze. And of course, that album also includes a bunch of guest musicians. Then in March of 2005, they uh, released Lullabies, and it hit number five on the Billboard charts. And this really solidified the band's popularity in mainstream music, for sure. Um, and then 2007, um, Era Vulgaris was released. Again, both the album and the following tours contained tons of guest musicians. Um, I, think- I, actually, I actually saw them at the launch of that in the UK, in uh, the, um, I think it was the Carling, or the Carling Arena in Bristol or Bath. They played a tiny gig, tiny. Oh. And the drummer they had at the time, Joey, Joey, I can't remember his name. Guy looked like Animal from the Muppets. <laughs> he was he was just and he played the drums exactly the same way. And those five of us went to the concert and at the end of it, you know, as most drummers do, the tops off, and this guy's just like all man just battering these prehistoric <laughs> bones into the ground. And all of us kind of came out a bit shocked and went, That was a phenomenal concert. And then one by one we kind of went, couldn't quite take my eyes off the drummer. Joe, Joey <laughs> Castillo. Just, he was just mesmerizing. Yeah, he's been in everything too. He was. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. It was such a small little uh, little gig. There was, there was probably only two thousand people at it. Which oh my god for a band at that yeah. time to come across. So that totally. was, that's the best small. That's the best kind of venue to see them in as a small venue like yeah. that. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I had the opportunity to see them open for Red Hot Chili Peppers in a larger venue in two thousand three. So it was right after Songs for the Death. That was released and they were just starting to get traction um and you know i had heard of them but i wasn't really a huge fan but they stole the show man i mean they really stole the show i mean they blew chili peppers off the stage not hard I'm to a do huge chili peppers fan <laughs> well she hates the chili peppers but i'm a big chili peppers <laughs> fan but they um i mean i was you know i mean chili peppers was probably five or six songs into the set and i was still talking to my buddy about how good queens was yeah. i couldn't believe it yeah they're he has a presence on stage. Oh yeah, it's not. It's not overdone, but it's just. He's so good. He's just Josh is really just. As you said, there's like a, there's a million. He, there's a hundred front men that he plays in one show. In one show, yeah. Yes. You know, you you see elements of uh, you know people that have been like that before, or front men that have acted like that before. There's a bit of Elvis comes out. You know, there's all yeah. these. You can see all his influences. It's an amalgamation of a lot of different things. Yeah. In one person. It's yeah. like a yeah. Frankenstein lead singer. You know, there's yeah. a bit of everything falls into each song. And it's just, it's just fantastic. It's the coolest dude on the planet, let's face it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, super weird. And that's what you get. I mean, it's, it's so perfect. Um, so Joey Castillo... <clears throat> has been also in a drummed for a million trillion bands. And um, I knew him of the Bronx before, um, who I, I really used to like the Bronx before I realized that he was in um, Queens of the Stone Age. And he, yeah, he's, he's an amazing drummer. Um, so sadly, in July of 2008, um, tragedy struck the band. Their former keyboardist lost her battle with lung cancer. Um, there was an amazing tribute show that was put together in celebration of Natasha Schneider's life, and tons of musicians came out for it. Jesse Hughes, of course, PJ Harvey, Tenacious D. It was really incredible. If you can find, you, I believe you can find it on YouTube. It's really amazing to see some of these artists come together. I have to say, PJ Harvey and Josh Homme together was like I died. I mean, unbelievable, because I'm obsessed with her, too. And the two of those weirdos together was so perfect. 
they, I wish they would have done a project she, together. She likes, she, she likes pairing up with weirdos. One of her best songs is uh, Mace We're In with Tom York. You know, that's just yes, that's yes. awesome scale as well. She's, she's phenomenal. Combination duo of weirdos. Yes, I love, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll fast forward a little bit to 2009 and 10. Um, they, they took a little time off of Queens of the Stone Age and all worked on their own products, uh, products, projects. Um, Josh started Them Crooked Vultures with Dave Grohl again and John Paul Jones. Yes, the John Paul Jones. Then in 2010, Josh suffered complications during a knee surgery. Very serious complications. He was bedridden for months and went into a really deep depression. And he has said since that that period contributed greatly to the writing for Like Clockwork. So Dave Grohl and other early uh, guest musicians and members came back for this album. And, of course, there was a myriad of musicians. It's actually funny. If you Wikipedia Queens of the Stone Age, they have these charts that show you all the different musicians and the albums they were on. They're like flow charts. It's hysterical. Um, and then just the like frequent musicians. I think there's like a list of 19 of them. It's insanity, but he, he knows what he's doing. It works perfectly. Um, so like clockwork was released in June of 2013. That album debuted at number one on the billboard charts. I didn't know that. The U.S. Billboard Charts. Yeah, did I know? It, it was yeah, the first first of their albums to do that. Um, and then in 2017, August 2017, they released the album Villains. And uh, this became a headlining tour for the band. They actually headlined um, Madison Square Garden for the first time, which I find unbelievable that it took them that long to be able to headline still. I guess they're still kind of, I don't know, <clears throat> they're still kind of maybe a little too weird. We're a little too weird to really be that mainstream, which is fine for me. Yeah, I think that's know? what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, they're whole, like, they're, like if you listen to an album from start to finish, it is quite difficult to to love everything immediately. Yeah. Like, they, there's there's three or like, you know, most albums have three or four good hook songs, and the other ones grow on you a little bit. But you know. Even going back to songs for the death, the variation in that album. And oh just yeah, like, I really like this part. And in this one, I I still skip through certain tracks on the album. Well, just, do like, you know, you know what's interesting about that is so. I, when I first heard that album, I was like, what the fuck is go, what, what is this? Like, I'm like, am I listening to a compilation album? I thought it was yeah. actually a compilation CD and I didn't read it correctly. So what they did was they decided to, well, Josh decided he wanted to replicate the drive from LA out to Joshua Tree, which is in the Palm Desert. It is, he said, it gets more and more, um, weird and dark and, um, like Twin Peaks style, you know? <laughs> Um, the more you, go, go, the, the further you go into what you yeah. said. Yeah. Yes, the further you go into the <laughs> yeah. desert. See, so that's why there's the radio stations in between. That's why you know all of a sudden they had that like piece of a metal song. And that's why he said that was his idea. To he felt that it got stranger and stranger and stranger as the album goes on. So that's very intentionally done. So it's mm. funny if you're skipping songs, you're just changing the station on the radio. Mm. Is what's happening. No, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was I'm brilliant. Sure I'm sure he'll let me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they were also, they've been nominated for seven Grammys. Haven't won one yet, but they've been nominated for seven Grammys, which I found to be, wow, that's a lot of nominations. Damn. Yeah. And that's, not to win. Yeah. That, I mean, well, you know, 
That's unfortunately I mean, that's more than a lot of bands we talked about on this show. Oh yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's more than legendary yeah. bands for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they they've won so many awards, like different various music awards, and um, all over. They won um, they won a UK Music Video Award in 2014 for Smooth Sailing. Um, that was best um, rock indie video. Um, they've won a ton of year of VMAs from MTV Europe. And, uh, yeah, so the Grammys is interesting. This, this is, I find this very interesting that they have not won because they've been very consistent. They were nominated in 2003, 2004, 2006, 2008, 2014, 2018. Come on, give them. We just, that's Europeans just like them better than you guys over there. <laughs> I yeah. guess so. Yeah, Americans have shit taste. It's okay. like Radiohead. Nobody knew who they were until they played in the states, right? You, you like, you like. We, we all like an import. <laughs> yes, indeed. This is very true. Um, it's true. Yeah. So I feel like so all of their nominations, most of them are for best hard rock performance, and then they actually got nominated for best rock album, 2014 and 18 for um, like Clockwork and Villains. That's that's a even if you don't win it, to get nominated for two of your albums for Best Rock, that's not even indie, Best Rock as a Grammy, that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a nod. It really is. Um, what did they lose to those two years? Just curious. Oh, shit, I don't know. Oh. I have no idea. But yeah, um, I was, your fingertips. The last, um, <laughs> when Villains came out, they were playing a UK tour, and, uh, a friend of mine had flown to London to see them play at the O2 because they were playing in Edinburgh the next night and he'd flown from Edinburgh where we lived to, to London. I was working in London walking through this. Uh, there, there's basically five airports around London that you can use and the smallest one is in this, right in the city in the financial part. And I was walking through the airport and he's instantly recognisable, right? Josh Holman. Oh yeah. He's three. huge too. And he's, he's, he's just sitting on his own, red plaid shirt, iridescent green frog skins on, <laughs> looking at his iPad. <laughs> and like, well, you're hardly hiding. Yeah. Uh, and Dino's sitting about four away from him. And I thought, well, I'm not going to go and say anything to Josh. I'll go to Dino instead. I bet he's far more approachable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just went up and said, look, uh, you, I hear your show in the O2. And it's the O2. It was a 20,000 capacity show. I hear your show in the O2 was, was a huge success last night. I had friends that had come down from Edinburgh. He's like, oh, thanks very much, Dylan. Yeah, you know, thanks for taking the time to stop by. I said, look, uh, are you heading up to Edinburgh? And he said, yeah. I said, I'm on a, a 10 past three flight. And he said, oh, so are we. And I was like, we, it's a private jet airport as well. And I'm like, you're, you're on just a commercial flight. He's like, yeah, yeah, speak to my uh, band manager, my manager over here. So I turned to him. <laughs> It's like, God, you need to sort these guys out, right? I mean, surely by now she just gave me this death stare. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I gave her my card and I said, look, as it happens, uh, where are you playing? And she said, the Usher Hall, 2,000 capacity. So oh, from 20,000 to 2,000. And uh, I said, have the guys got any whiskey in the green room? And she's like, I don't think they do. So I gave her my card and I said, look, when you get there, I'll have some whiskey sent along. 
So she's like, cool. Well, if you drop it off yourself, I'll have some tickets there waiting for Nice. You. Totally, oh, totally nice. sold out show. <laughs> so we went and Josh walks out on stage quite early. They play about three songs in and he's in a really good mood and he picks this big cup up and he's drinking it and he's got a cigarette on stage and he's <laughs> kicking cigarettes away after three puffs. And he's like, see, this is what happens when people give us. And I was like, please say Glenfinnick. Please say Glenfinnick. <laughs> <laughs> and, he just, and, he just, and he just went, booze. Oh, <laughs> oh, damn it. Oh, damn it. <laughs> it was right, right there, there, Mark. It was right there. I had, yeah, I had them, and I did so see them. I kept, I kept in touch with the band manager and sort of said, "Look, if there's anything the guys could do, and they're a bit like they don't use their social media for that, they just promote the albums." On. Damn but it! They don't know. They don't know the power of social media like we do. No, no. <laughs> so yeah, that was my brush with fame. But at least they did drink Glenfiddich that night. That's for sure. <laughs> Out of giant cups. <laughs> like a huge, big red plastic. Oh god! Oh, no, <laughs> I'm just in my head for a minute. I was picturing that you were gonna say he comes out with a Glen Cairn, and it's you know yeah. he's like <laughs> swirling the glass. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been amazing. But he, but he would do that. I, you know? I see. It could have gone either way. A big plastic cup, way, yeah. you know, and he like throws the cup behind him or spits the the Glenfiddich out on the crowd, yeah. or he's yeah. delicately drinking it out of the pl- proper glassware. I mean, it could have been either one. Um, so it was good. It was a great show. I saw them in California. God, I don't even remember what year it was. Probably two thousand four, five, something like that. And I saw them, Jesse Hughes happened to be with them that night and so i became a fan of jesse hughes and i i really like eagles of death metal um i remember i'm what so the crowd was really chill it was a smaller venue in inland empire california southern california and um probably same around 2,000 people maybe 3,000 maybe um and a friend of mine who owned a small record label ended up getting me tickets it was like some connect to some showcase thing so we're up front i'm like right up against the stage and everybody it's like halfway through the show everybody's chill everybody's rocking out but real mellow maybe a little too mellow i'm like jesus what's everybody on here and then all of a sudden a fight breaks out to the right of me and i'm like what the fuck this was just a weird (laughs) environment for a fight to break out and i'm just standing there kind of puzzled staring at it like you know, Why the, did you bring that guy with you? Right, exactly. I'm like, who is this asshole that started this shit? Well, apparently Jesse had kicked over his glass of booze or his cup of booze, whatever, onto this guy. Never found out if it was intentional or not. Um, and he thought the guy next to him threw his drink on him. And so it starts this huge fight. And I just remember I'm in my mid-30s at the time and I'm just like, I'm too old for this shit. You know, standing here at rock concerts watching fights. Okay, fast forward to a couple of years ago. <laughs> my friends, who, by the way, two of them were gram- our grandparents, okay? We're that old. We Everybody decides, hey, Eagles of Death Metal is coming to Cincinnati. It's when I was living in Cincinnati. Tiny little venue. Maybe I think you can fit 300 people in there. Tiny. Wow. And it was two blocks from my house. So I'm like... You want me to go out at 10 o'clock at night? All right, fuck it. I'll go. It's two blocks from my house. I'll go. So we're, we get we get inside really early because we're old people. We want to be close to the stage. One of the girls with me is in love with the band, in love with Jesse Hughes. So really, we're all there to support her. So there's we're, we're talking um, in between the opening band and 
uh, Eagles of Death Metal coming out. And this guy keeps bumping into me. Big, huge guy. And he's, like, bumping into me, bumping it. Finally, I tapped him on the shoulder. I'm like, excuse me, could you please? There was plenty of space, by the way. Like, the place hadn't even close to filled up yet. Can you please stop bumping into me? And he just gives me this look and turns around. He does it again. So my girlfriend switches with me because I'm getting angry face and I'm holding a beer. He starts bumping into her, bumping into her, elbowing her, arms flailing. It, it's like empty almost this venue. Like get, we keep moving and he keeps moving with us. It's And his back is to us the whole, whole time. So finally, my friend Terry reaches across the other girl and taps on the shoulder and goes, dude, stop fucking bumping into us. And he looks at her and goes, fuck you, bitch. And everything happened in slow motion. Her husband reaches from behind her to punch this guy. And in my head, it's all slow motion, right? That guy that fights, we all duck down to get out from it because we're in the middle of it. And then one of the other guys, Sarah's husband, poor thing, tries to get in between them, like, calm down, dudes. And the belligerent guy headbutts him in the nose. I'm standing next to him. Blood goes all over my face, all over everywhere. And then we all jump on this guy. So here we are, all these, like, eight, ten old people are thrashing this guy on the ground. <laughs> so finally... Dude, the common denominator here is when all fights have ever broken out at an Eagles of Death Metal uh, concert are because of you. Because of me, <laughs> apparently. You're yes. the common denominator in all of this. We ended up, the, the bouncers dragged the guy out, realized that we were fine, let us be there. We didn't realize the band had come out while this was going on. So Jesse looks at us and he's like... I want to party with you guys. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, we're really fucking boring. This was an anomaly. Like, I don't know what just happened here. So he gave us his drink and threw some towels at us. I had blood all over my face. He's like, that's metal. And I'm like, I just, I just went, hell yeah. I didn't know what else to do. Like a stock teenager. Oh, Jesus. There's always one ass. There's always one asshole. Oh, God. Can you imagine? And he, I couldn't believe that he, he said, fuck you, bitch, to her, and then head-butted the guy who was trying to calm it all down. It was insane. I think he was, he was wasted drunk, I think. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's what happens when I go to shows. So I don't, that's why I don't go see live music. <laughs> see? That's why I don't go anymore. Um, yeah, I'm too old for live music, and I, you know, I, 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 I always, uh, and I leave before the crowd. You know, you put sensible head on. Yeah. You know, we should go now because if we need to go now, we can get that bus that gets us. You know, or we can, you know, or we can find that restaurant before everyone else piles in. Sure. It's like thinking yeah. sensibly. Yes. Yeah, especially um, if, it's, if it's a band that you've seen a few times, it's like, we know what they're going to close with. Let's just get out of here. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I need a comfortable seat. I need it to not be too loud. I need to, uh, I need to have some space. I don't need, I don't care. I don't like people bumping into me. I don't like it to be too hot, and I need so to have a drink in my beer. hand. Yeah. So, yeah, warm. Yeah. <laughs> Plastic cups. Like, no, 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 no. I drink out of crystal. Though. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I always have a flask with me of my favorite whiskey. So. Actually, speaking of that, my, my girlfriend really loves contemporary dance and opera, and uh, uh, no idea why she's with me. And. Uh, <laughs> She said to me once. She said to me once, "We're going to see this uh, the, the dance theater from from um, Holland or something like that." And anyway, so she said she's texting me. We we're meeting each other at the at the venue, and she said, "Remember glasses." I'm like, "Cool." So we get there and we sit down, and 
she, I'm like, she's like, you good? I said, yeah, how's your date work? Yeah, cool, cool, cool. So uh, I brought these ones, are these okay? And I put the glasses down and got the glasses out. And she said, I meant opera glasses? Yeah. Like binoculars? Yeah. I wanted, because yeah. I wanted, <laughs> to, I knew we weren't in great seats. I wanted to remember the little ones we've got. Now, ah, I've got these two whiskey glasses. <laughs> she's like, fuck it. Brilliant. <laughs> I, can't, I can't see the show anyway. Let's just get smashed. <laughs> That's exactly what I would have thought. I would have been like, what glasses do you, can I take, but I don't want to break them? They're still going to, yeah. That's, that's when you know you have whiskey in your soul and anybody says glasses, it means whiskey glasses. And credit to her, she recognized that and went with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, there's. I wanted to ask you just a couple questions now that we've discussed the band. I'm kind of doing this a little bit in, in reverse. Um, a lot of our listeners, I think we kind of have a split audience. We have a lot of whiskey fanatics that are listeners, and then we have a lot of listeners that are just into the music and don't know a lot about whiskey. It's awesome, though, because they'll contact me on Instagram or on Facebook and ask me questions, and we're really kind of helping them to helping them on their journey or they're just learning more about it. So they might not know. I mean, I've talked about being a brand ambassador before, but they might not know what a brand ambassador is. You know, everybody does it a little bit differently. So I just want to spend a few minutes talking about you because you come from a really cool history with whiskey as well, other than being a Scotsman. Um, and you work for the best um, distillery in the world hands down. Um, I know this because I, I have poured this juice many times and I've talked about it a lot. Um, and I don't know if you know that my journey into Scotch whiskey started with William Grant and Sons. I, I, I was, um, I'm an American whiskey educator and um, have worked in American whiskey distilleries and represented many brands. And um, I moved back to Boston and uh, the portfolio manager, well, this is how it went down. So I was bartending and poor, a man comes in and he asks for um, to, a, a dram of Tullamore Dew. And so I pour it for him and I said, did you know? And I start telling him a little bit about Tullamore Dew. I didn't know anything of it. I just... I look at my bottles when I bartend somewhere. I need to be able to say a paragraph about all of these bottles, just something I can remember. And I said, alternatively, um, you can also, you, if you like this, you might like this. And he just looks at me and starts laughing. He's like, that was a really nice spiel. Good job. And I'm like, well, thanks. He's like, I'm the portfolio manager for, for William Grandsons in New England. I was like, oh. Well done. <laughs> so he said, well done. he said, how much do you, how much do I have to pay you to do tastings for me? And I was like, and I said some ridiculous amount of money. He's like, I'll give you half that. And I was like, all right, done. So he, so it was um, St. Patrick's Day. Four days later, he's like, you're going to have, I'm going to put you in a huge table at this giant liquor store in the Boston area on freaking St. Patrick's Day. And you're going to have all Tullamore Dew. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm studying like crazy. I don't know shit about Irish whiskey. Studying my brains out. So I ended up having this huge crowd at my table because I'm doing sensory training. And the manager is like, what the hell are you giving away? And I said, literally nothing but knowledge. We sold out. Completely sold out. So he's like, okay, you're hired. You're done. Now I want you to, in two days, I want, you're going to be pouring, um, Glenfiddich. And I'm like, fuck, I know, I don't know what that is. And I have to drink it because I will not talk about something I haven't tasted. So that started that. And then the Balvenie 
I had to pour both of those and learn about all of them. And these were high-end stores, so I'm doing all, all the range. And that was, Matt, I, I talked about it on the show. If I think if we go back to like last February, maybe is when I started it. And so yeah. I've become a scotch lover because of William Grant and Sons. It's a, it's a slippery slope. It's, uh, that's a great, that's a, that's a great way of getting in. You know, there's, uh, I must get <coughs> countless, countless, uh, contacts on a daily basis. How do I do your job? How do I get your job? <laughs> and if anyone is listening, it does follow me on Instagram. It, it, you know, of course, only the best parts of a life ever make it to Instagram, right? Of <laughs> Instagram stories might see a slightly darker side, but the, the best parts are the permanent ones. Uh, I've been in the industry for over 20 years. Uh, from Scotland, obviously, if the accent didn't give that away already. Uh, but my grandfather got me into whiskey, or not into whiskey, it was subliminal. I was quite a late starter for drinking whiskey in Scotland. I was eight, and normally you've started much way before that. Uh, but, I kind of pinched his, I pinched a, a sip of his whiskey after pestering him for a while. And it wasn't so much the whiskey, that wasn't the memorable part for me. Uh, what did resonate with me was the green triangular bottle. Mm. And it only ever appeared at birthdays and celebrations like funerals. And if you've ever met any of my family, you'll know why we celebrate that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, weddings and, and it was all, it, it Christmas. And uh, to me, growing up in our family, that bottle represented something really special. So I worked alongside the company for a number of years. I had my own whiskey company for a while doing a sort of ambassador for hire, which is basically like you're saying, it could be, you know, hosting a tasting in a, in a liquor shop, in a bottle shop, or hosting a dinner, or doing a press interview, or making cocktails, or working with bars to help them understand how to work better with the liquid. No two days are the same, very, very varied, but uh, five, seven years ago, I was working with William Grant and Sons. I've been the ambassador for Glenfiddich in the UK for five years now. Uh, Travelled extensively with them because I look after a bit of Europe now and again. I've just come back from Brussels uh, for three days, which was fun. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, so you, you can't, the only thing I say is I'm a whiskey educator. Mm-hmm. That's what an ambassador does. Mm-hmm. At any point where anyone is lifting up a glass or a bottle, whether it be in a supermarket, a bar, or at home, or you know, I'm the connection between the liquid and the customer, just to help them. I hate lectures about whiskey. I hate rules about whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's all bullshit. There's no way. There is two ways you can drink whiskey, and that's it: left or right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where the rules stop, right? And if you're yeah. missing your mouth, you've had too much. It, that's pretty much that's it. The guidelines. Um, I, I say that all the time. I say that all the time. Yeah, There's no wrong way to drink yeah. whiskey ever. Just no, fucking no. drink it. We were the we were the first company to put single malt into the market in the states in the 1960s, and by our own admission, we then said to people we were trying to get people to understand that this is single malt and those are blends, and we want you to drink this, and we kind of don't want you to drink that, which is stupid because our Grant's blend paid for the shit yeah. to bring that bottle of single malt over, you know. But we had posters up that were hilarious. I saw it in the archives. It said, um, sit down when you drink Glenfiddich. You'll never stand for another blend again. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, so what, a, what a way to shoot yourself in the foot. But, but of course, we became ubiquitous. And, and, and ever since then, many other whiskey brands have perpetuated this idea that 
you know, if you want to drink whiskey, you've got to be seated in a leather chair yes. next to a fireplace. Yes. You've got to have testicles <laughs> and you've got to be at least 60 years old. Yeah. That's, there's your perfect whiskey drink. Yep. All the back, all the posters, everything, that's all you ever saw. Mm-hmm. Now, whiskey today is very different. We've got a huge range of people coming to it. The cocktail revolution of, it's now in the UK, maybe 15 years since we really started kickstarting cocktails again. All these older whiskey cocktails that have come in, guys are thinking about it differently behind the bar. You've got some really creative people. My job's become easier as an educator because people are coming to tastings or coming to events or coming to dinners with more information but more importantly, more of the right information. Yes. It's not shit they've picked up from Jim in the pub that's been drinking yeah. whiskey in his yes. way and trying to say, you're doing that wrong, laddie. You know you should never pour it from the right-hand side. You're like, fuck off, Jim. Yeah. I'll drink it how I want. <laughs> Although a lot of people in America, when I, when I do Poor talk for America, yeah. yeah, Jim, there's one in every pub. <laughs> yeah, there is. Never yeah. leave. Um, you know, I do a lot of tastings with Americans and they'll say things like, well, I only put one cube of ice in my whiskey. And I'm like, yeah, cool. You do know that technically one ice cube sunk the Titanic. There is a very great difference between some ice and some ice. One ice cube, one ice cube. Uh, it just, I was doing a, doing a tasting on Sky, the Isle of Sky, and, um, and there was an American, a group of American tourists. And I'm not saying, I'm nothing against Americans. You, some of you are really nice. Uh, <laughs> some of you. Two of you. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say that. <laughs> it was pres- I was rather presumptuous of you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and, uh, and the guy went to the bar to buy a whiskey, and his pal was sitting down away from him. And he said, "What do you want? You want a whiskey?" He says, "Yeah, give me a give me a whiskey." So, what do you normally drink? He said, "Oh, you you choose." So he picked him a whiskey he'd never had in his life before, and he you know he takes it over to his pal, and his pal didn't even smell it or taste it, and he walked straight back to the bar and dumped a load of ice into it. Now that's cool. But through the conversation, I could hear the guy had never tried that whiskey in his life before. Mm-hmm. How does he know it's going to be nice with ice? Right. I mean, it's just, it, 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 to me, it's like, look, if someone gives you a whiskey, try it neat. Try it just because it's come out the yeah. bottle and then decide what you want to do. And it might need ice. It might need water. It might need Dr. Pepper. You know, it's entirely up to you what to do. So my job is kind of that way of making people realize the importance of Glenfiddich, the history behind it and why it's so relevant today. The creativity that's always been within the company and it's helped shape the whiskey industry in the way it is now um, and help people just enjoy the dram the way they want. It's not really much harder than that. I, t- I concur with everything you've said and have had the same exact experiences. Um, I actually worked in a historic distillery in Ohio and I developed their whole tasting experience and um, we built a tasting room and um, I did our tastings kind of like a mini whiskey class because 90% of the people that came did not drink whiskey. This is how, this is how I started my career as an educator. It was the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. And it took me months to, I would change my format in the tastings to figure out how the fuck do I get, you know, we had four different expressions. They're all there because it's a historic farm and distillery. That's what they came for. So most of them would just think, you know, they wouldn't even touch it. And I'm like, because at first I was talking to everybody like they already drank whiskey, you know, and I'm like, oh, fuck, this isn't working. So after a while, I started adding more things. Okay, here's some oyster crackers. I'm going to give you, I'm going to put ice next to everybody's mat. I'm going to put water droppers next to everybody's mat. 
And then I started having all these syrups on hand and little juices for, and I hate to say it, but it's true, mostly the women that were like, ah, so I'm so scared of it. And then I took many sensory training classes myself in Louisville, and I learned that that was a great way to get people to start. So what I always say is, and and we've talked about this on the show a lot, when I open a bottle, I have a whole process, if I've never had this expression before, before I even take a sip, I'm doing all these, you got to get to know it. I always say, get, have a relationship first, and then you can figure out how to drink it. That's yeah. usually the way I people ask me all the time. Well, should I use water? Should I use ice? Yeah. Should I'm like I don't know. It's up to you. You know, there's a great there's a great thing talking about relationships. Someone had said to me once, imagine imagine whiskey drinking was like dating, mm-hmm. and think back to your very very first date. Right? You're you're probably never going to marry that person, and it didn't go well. Well, for most of us, they don't. But it didn't stop you dating. That's right. So why is it when people drink their first whiskey and go, fuck me, that's awful, do they just walk away from whiskey for the rest of their life? You know, there's many different types of whiskey and there's many different types of people and you didn't give up on your first date for relationships or love. And so many people don't find love with whiskey because they give up on the first date. Yes. Well, I think that's that's the industry's fault. That's poor marketing for so long. And the, and especially in America, I mean, we had a horrible time after prohibition. You know, it was just there's whiskey. That's it. It all tastes the same. Some of it's more expensive than others, but it's pretty much all the same. Vodka did a very good job of going here are all the myriad of flavors, you know, absolute and Smirnoff with their ad campaigns. Brilliant. Oh, you don't like regular vodka? Here, we put fucking cherries in it. Put lime in it. We put fucking Laffy Taffy in it. Liquor, I don't know. We put we, we put macaroni and cheese in it. Here's the 18,000 million trillion different. And I had this discussion at a whiskey tasting once because this woman just refused. And I said, I challenge you right now. I'm going to tell you there is more variety in all of the express in, in just American whiskey than there is in your 85 different absolute flavors way more diversity in there. And she's like, what? You mean there's, it's all flavored whiskey? I said, no, 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 no. Some, yes. But no, there, that is still... We don't, we don't talk about those. Well, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't at all. But there is still... And that's, that's still a hurdle that I believe, as you said, whiskey drinkers are becoming more more and more educated. Absolutely. Their their palates are, are absolutely... Like, what, 10, 10 years ago to now... I, I can't even compare. It's yeah. especially yeah. In, the, in the U.S. Oh my God, it's yeah. like night and day. But we still have to because everyone still says. First question they ask me: I have a tattoo that says "Whiskey Woman." So when I'm behind the bar, what's your favorite whiskey? First question, and I hate. God, I hate that question. My answer it's is that first question always. Always. So I say to them. Yeah. What season is it? What time of day is it? Have I eaten? Yeah. Have I not eaten? Do I want Irish, Scotch, Japanese, bourbon, single malt, Canadian, never Canadian? Um, do I want, a, a, <laughs> sorry, do I want barrel proof? Do I want a low proof? Yeah. Is it a daily drinker? Is it a special occasion? And then they just look at me and they're like, yeah. I don't, I'm like, the diver- that's, that to me is our last big hurdle is to, Teach people that there's so much diversity in whiskey. So if, yeah. just like you said, if you didn't like that one, there's a thousand other flavors to choose from. When people ask me the same question, the question my normal response to them is the one that's free. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody says that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 
someone, someone also asked me, what whiskey will you be asking for on your deathbed? And I went, I wouldn't need to ask for it. It'll be whiskey that got me there. So it's whatever remaining in Absolutely. that <laughs> <laughs> The only time I ever give an answer is, and we've talked about this on the show, is our deserted island whiskey. So, and now it's categories. So I have my deserted island bourbon, and I know what that is. And I have my, now I have a deserted island scotch whiskey. Um, so it's, for me, it's um, tough. It's either the um, the experimental number two from Glenfiddich or the Bal... I put a cask in too. Yay! Project 20. Project 20, yeah. See, that's no, kiss, why I like kiss, it. No XX, Project 20. <laughs> kiss, kiss. <laughs> <laughs> or it's the Balvenie Portwood. So it's, yes. um, it, the, and I don't, I don't have an Irish yet. I'm still deciding. So that See, was for, the for, only for time. Matt, Matt what, what's yours, Matt? What's your desert island scotch? Um. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I've never really thought about it. You're putting me on the spot right now. Um. <laughs> I tell you what, man, Glenfiddich 18 year is one of my favorites. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a dessert island scotch, but it is one of my favorites. It it, it has to be your deserted island scotch tonight. I, okay, for for today, if I was stranded on a deserted island, it would be Glenfiddich 18. Year. <laughs> uh oh, I think we liquid, lost liquid dessert. Did we lose oh. Mark? Oh, we lost him. My problem. Oh, I got you back. There you are. Awesome. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I, I didn't hear what your answers were, Matt, and if it wasn't oh, Glenfiddich, I don't care. <laughs> well, it was Glenfiddich. It was, was Glenfiddich. It? <laughs> yeah. I was saying Which it's Glenfiddich 18 year. Nice. You see, yeah. you got again, you got to think about the value. And We did a private vintage cast called 1974, which is, for me, I think, was one of the most perfectly balanced, great, examples of Glenfiddich. It was five casks from 1974. It was a 29-year-old whiskey put together. and It was just stunning. But it's a thousand dollars, $1,200 a bottle. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's not going to get helicoptered in the island anytime soon. <laughs> but the other thing you've got to consider, you're on a desert island, right? And you might not want to drink your scotch or your whiskey meat all the time. So my one, my fave, is the 15-year-old distillery edition which is a little bit, it's it's like our 12-year-old, but at 15 years, it's a little bit fruitier, a little bit richer, a bit more sherry cask in there. It's at 51% uh, alcohol by volume, so it's at 110, 110 for you guys. Mm-hmm. Non-chill filtered, but the best thing about it is it works really nicely in coconut water. <laughs> and if you're stuck on a fucking oh. desert island, that's the only mixture of choice you've got with you. See, I've really considered this answer. <laughs> whiskey has to work and it does work really nicely with coconut water as a long drink so you know you'll be sitting there drinking your barrel proof in the in the 36 degrees yeah. and i'll have a nice i'll have a nice cooler on the, on the go see i was That's thinking refreshing. i was thinking what do i i'm going to be eating a lot of banana a lot of fish coconut of course um, so I'm thinking like tropical fruits and lots of fish. There's a lot of brine in the air. So that's why I chose the Portwood or the exper- the double X experimental. That's, I thought those yes. would go really well. Or for bourbon, it's wild turkey rare breed. Cause it's like candy. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll all, we'll all meet up on this island. That'll be one brilliant bar. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
a great backbone. <laughs> see, the, see sure. the eighteen. The eighteen to me is like liquid dessert. So I want. I would want dessert it, when I'm there. That's, so, that's it's actually it's actually too <laughs> sweet for me. And in, in my palate, my palate for yeah. the whiskies that we have, um, I like that coastal salty brine that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You've got this. Yeah. Slightly more savory. So at the end of a meal, I don't go for dessert often, but I will Same. go for cheese more often than not to finish a meal. And I like that salinity that comes through. So the 15 distillery edition, the Glenfiddich 12, the Project 20, because it's got that licorice and salt mm-hmm. going through, which is yep. fabulous. And it actually makes a brilliant old-fashioned. If you grab some Project 20 with Lapsang Souchon tea and rose, rose petals, make yeah. a syrup up with that, use that as your base syrup. And then uh, dilute it with just a little sprinkle of uh, licorice bitters and a little sprinkle of sea salt in there, and it's it's like it's my well it's my cocktail, so of course it's good. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's it brings out all that candy, that licorice, the saltiness that I really like. And then through the range, the eighteen for me, although it's a delicious whiskey, and I will not refuse it if you buy me one. I can't have a lot of it. My palate just finds it. Too sweet, mm-hmm. too rich, too candied. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and that's yeah. what's beautiful about it. It's balanced. It's like Christmas pudding. It's got some mm-hmm. lovely rich notes in it. But I'd go up to the 21 or the 26 if budget allowed because that then brings back in a much more savoury, salty note to it. But yeah, like to say, what a great back bar we'll have. Mark, have you ever, nice range. Have you ever tried the um, Jefferson's Reserve Ocean? No, I haven't, no. If you, I don't know if you guys can get it over there. Um, if not, I'll send you a sample of it. Um, so it's an American, it's an American, uh, whiskey distiller fit. I mean, phenomenal. We're both huge fans. You know, Jefferson. So he did, he did a project where he stuck, he sent his barrels out to sea. It's like, I want to see, I want to age them in the open air on a boat and see what happens. And so that is Jefferson's Ocean. And we're at Voyage, what are we at? Voyage 17 now? 16, 16, 16 I think. So, in, was the last release, yeah. so instead of batches, it's voyages. And so they go on cargo ships. They cross the equator like between three and five times. Um, they hit like 33 different ports. Uh, so you get. It's really interesting because the first time I tasted it, I'm like, oh, my God, I have all the salt and brine in there. But it also has like a rum type flavor to it, which is really interesting because the, it's the way it caramelizes in that salty air. I was going to say, the, 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 and also the heat, the, the variation in temperature yes. across mm-hmm. the... Uh-oh. <laughs> I lost him again. Sorry, guys. Poor connection. That's okay. That's all right. Must be the whiskey in the air around here interferes with the Wi-Fi. It must be. <laughs> <clears throat> so, all right. Well, it's time to wrap it up anyway. Thank you so much for giving us your time today and being on the show. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. And, Pleasure. Uh, I'll be uh, I'll be waiting for your job offer in my Instagram yeah. box soon. <laughs> Just want I want you to know that I'm sending resending my resume because um, there's a couple positions open in the states right now to William Grant and Sons and I'm put on the top of my I should send it to you I literally put your quote on the top of my resume when you said I was what the fuck, what did you say I was fucking amazing for my life changing remember when I said my heart <laughs> I screen I screenshotted it and quoted you. I said, "Single yeah. malt Mark thinks I'm fucking amazing." So there you go. <laughs> yeah, 
want to go straight to the trash as soon as I've seen it. I'll be like, oh, that fucking guy. It's been a lot of fun. It's been, it's been really good. I'm, uh, I'm really glad. Thank you for asking me a lot. It's, it's been really nice Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. All right. So we always end the show by saying, fuck you, Lars. So fuck you, Lars. Fuck you, Lars. Such a fucker, that Lars. That Lars, he is such a fucker. Mark, thanks so much. Whenever we're ready to air this, I will send you a message and let you know when it's ready. Because we're going to hold on to this one for a little bit um, to where we we figure out where to put it in the schedule. So I'll definitely let you know. Awesome, guys. Have a great weekend. Sorry for getting you up early. I'm about to run a half marathon tomorrow. So I've got a load of guys up doing a distillery run. It's a big thing called Dramathon. So that we're... uh, I'd ha- I would have had a whiskey here, but it's a dry night for me because I've got to run tomorrow. you got to run, yeah. It's a dry morning for me, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, guys. Take I'll care, you Mark. the rest of your day, your evening, and we'll speak soon. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Later. Cheers out. Cheers. Listeners, our fellow Metal Rock and Whiskey Obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey, save the E. You can find my buddy Ed at Bourbon Geek on Instagram. And you can find my other buddy Jake at Bourbon.Spartan on Instagram. Sailor. And you can find me as Sailor Retro stalking single malt Mark on Instagram. (laughs) So as Jake would say, this was a lot of fun, guys. Hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. But now my glass is empty and it's time to go. Be sure to tip your waitress. We're out. Cheers. And then I would say... Fuck you, Lars. (laughs) 